So we'll have some time to ask questions as we go forward, but it's my turn. So, so I'd like to your name again? Yoga Maya. Yoga Maya. Okay. So you came from where? I came from Peru. Okay, so you came from Sweden. The same call. Do we have um Copy of today we're gathered to discuss the occasion of commemorate the passing of Pakistan Sarstadaka from the world. We're fortunate to myself uh, be in touch with him through two of his uh, very Prominent disciples, as you know, carried out his ambition for a worldwide campaign disseminating the benediction of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu and Dr. who was very close to Bhaktisiddhanta Sarasri Thakur, and in that regard, wrote a beautiful poem or song, one among many, glorification of Bhakti Siddhartha Saraswati Thakur. And um, it, it's, a, it's a song that Swami Prabhupada one time asked that it would be sung in all of his temples every day. Um, for different reasons that didn't happen. Um, nothing of any consequence, but um, it is nonetheless sung in, in, in most of the uh, institutions that flowed from Pakistan Sastri through his uh, immediate disciples. And um, it's, 
endearing to us because uh, it illustrates how or to what extent it was considered or agreed upon by the disciples of Bhakti Siddhanta Sarasvati Thakur that Ujjapadachita Marsh was able to capture him in, in poetry. So again, they instituted singing it in, in all of their, their temples. And in some of the temples and some holy places, some uh, verses from the poem have been engraved in stone and, and uh, placed in a um, such a way that visitors will take take notice. So we're going to sing it. Some some discussion. Now I don't know. Do we have? Maybe we don't have enough of sheets for everybody to sing. So I think what I'll do is I'll sing the three lines. And then I'll sing the fourth line, and then you, you can all respond with the fourth line. Pranamami Sada Prabhupada. Any cartoons?
recant a little further about this song. Doesn't remind of it. When Madhurmaj first brought some of his disciples from North America back to India, he was hosted. And uh, on the occasion, I believe, of the celebration of the, the uh, birth date or the appearance of Pashita Marsh, they were attending there. And in the midst of the devotees, Standing out was Krishnadas Babaji Maharaja, God brother of Prabhupada Shri Marsh, who was famous for his, his kirtan. And he was singing the song, which Prabhupada was confusing. My Guru Maharaj's disciples you know, hadn't heard. And at the uh, end of the song, he began to chant Jai Prabhupada, Jai Prabhupada, as we have just done. And the disciples of uh, my Guru Maharaj hadn't heard that before either, so it wasn't a custom at that time to sing Jai Prabhupada, apparently in his song. And um, so they asked Prabhupada if they could do that in glorification of him, whom they also affectionately and, and with reverence referred to as Prabhupada, and he gave his permission. So Jai Prabhupada began there, if you will, as it's known now around the world, something that worth thinking about considering and um, along those lines i remember another uh, anecdote worth repeating when Prabhupada arrived at one time in his uh, temple in buffalo new york which is up northern part of new york state um, his uh, assistant at the time was unpacking his bags and in his bags he found a picture of Prabhupada Bhaktisiddhanta. So he pulled the picture out and he, he wasn't sure where to put it. And so Prabhupada noticed his, and he said, yes, I have my Prabhupada too. <laughs> and you can put it over there. Shiva Prabhupada ki jai. Shiva Prabhupada's ki jai. <laughs> so uh, today we're commemorating the, the passing of in the world of Pakistan's Sarasthi But in order to appreciate that, let's talk a little bit about the rest of his greater balance of his um, life in, in this world as um, we've come to know of him. And it's, it's, a, it's quite a, um, I should say that the, the nature of the event, how it was thought about his passing in West Bengal um, is certainly in light of the enormous contribution that he um, brought uh, to, to, to Bengal and to Chaitanya Vaishnavism and um, outspoken nature of the Thakur and acknowledgement of his personal uh, character. So it's good for us to hear about some of those things as well. And um, with regard to his appearance in the world, as you, as you know, he was the seventh, I think out of 12 
children uh, of who was from a called a Kayasta family. Kayasta, this is an interesting side note, I suppose we should go into a little bit. The Kayastas are, are had from the caste uh, system at the time had clerical type of uh, roles in society and some government uh, service as well. We find that um, much earlier also in in the um, life of Raman Roy, who was a Kayasta and was a government uh, official. So while the Gita speaks of Chaturvarnyam Mayashishtam, I created a system of, of four divisions of society. <clears throat> of course, he also says, but I'm beyond it, and from within it alone, you can't know me. You have to go beyond it. <laughs> That's important. Um, but uh, it's it's um, obvious, just a little bit of introspection, how um, the system, caste system, if you will, was, was developed, augmented um, as time went on to fit circumstances that were changing and just. Uh, things that were undeniable, um, that roles were not as, as strictly defined by birth as it might have been thought they should be, birth being based on previous karma, so on and so forth. So sometimes, I may mention this because sometimes you hear uh, devotees make statements like, women cannot be initiating gurus or We've heard things like this, or women cannot uh, do the puja to the to the deity, or or even they say if you are not born in the Brahmin family, you can't be. Or even some Gaudiya Vaishnavas make this kind of these kinds of arguments, which constitute really bhakti covered by karma. Mm -hmm. um, something that uh, is outside of the definition of. Rupa Goswami's Uttam Bhakti, Yad Karmadi, uncovered by, not hindered, not subject to the scriptural mandates that govern Rajaguna, Karma, Sattvaguna, Gyan. It is of a Nirguna nature, of a transcendental nature. And as such, because we are all of a transcendental nature, it is for everyone at any time whenever you have the acquired the requisite faith to good, good company, you can take it up in all respects. So my point is that we hear these types of arguments, even today sometimes, that ignore in their thought to be strict adherence to Varnashram, which Bhakti transcends in the first place, um, they ignore the, how the system, the, I want to say the, the, the like from Manu Smriti on down over centuries, the whole thing has been expanded and developed and, and uh, how the um, scripture in a larger sense as well is an ongoing 
uh, affair, if you will. This is a certain type of scripture that talks about Varnashram, but there are uh, scriptures about focus on Gyan and Bhakti and so on and so forth, but they are um, really ultimately an answer to the question that human life is, which is why, purpose, meaning, why, when you're troubled by this, why am I? What is the meaning? What is the purpose? Other less complex forms of life are not troubled by this. And the answer to this question, of course, cannot come from nature, which doesn't have a why question. Consciousness is qualitative, so it's asking a qualitative question, and it can't get an answer from something that only deals with quantitative values. So to answer the why question, we have to turn within from where it comes and find that that which we are constituted of that's, that's of a meaningful nature has a source and that source is answers the question that arises, if you will, in human life that humans are, why? <laughs> so it answers, that is what scripture is about. My Guru Maharaj once gave the example that, oh, the scriptures are like the law books. Hmm? So if you go to court and you say, Your Honor, I think and I really feel and I hope that you'll find my client innocent. And the other attorney says, well, I think because based on the law, it said this at this time and this year, this was decided and that and so on and so forth. I believe he should be found guilty. Well, the latter will prevail having cited the law. So I have to admit, when I first heard that, we thought, well, it's all there in the book. You just turn to 100 page 108 and you'll find the answer to any, any, any questions, great system. But if you play the analogy out, of course, laws are being determined all the time as new crimes are committed, if you will, um, or new questions about legality arise. You can say to kill is, is a crime, but what if you kill in these circumstances accidentally? So, so then new laws have to be made drawn upon, drawing upon the, 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 um, the legal canon to begin with. So my point only is that this revelation, even in the form of scripture, is an ongoing affair in terms, at least in terms of commentary and if not uh, new texts altogether and so forth. And, and, and this also um, is an interesting point to raise in relation to the argument that the problem with religion is that it's, it has this fixed set of answers, whereas science is, is an is open inquiry. And if new information comes, we change. Of course, that doesn't always happen <laughs> because scientific insights or facts are turned over to, uh, the, to, to be, be applied in the real world and economy results out of that and way of life and so on. And so if facts come that contradict that, there's a tendency not to give them that much room, to, to, not to consider them perhaps as fully as they should, to, to shift the paradigm as uh, may, take, uh, may take decades, if not more. But that said, um, my point is that properly understood, theology is that exercise within religion that is um, uh, 
speaking and explaining the essential teachings according to in an ongoing way as new new light arises. After all, the world is always changing. It's never the same even for a second. So there'll always be new things to think about, how to, how to think about them. People are changing. We are not the same as people were 100 years ago. <laughs> it's funny, if I look back even at the, you know, some film from the 60s, I have to chuckle what, what we were like, you know, people. Yeah. Uh, so brains change, bodies change, people change. So we have to be a little flexible. And actually spiritual people should be the most flexible, most open most uh, accommodating, especially in Chaitanya Mahaprabhu's tradition, generous. But at any rate, aside from these points, the point I was making is that Bhaktivedanta Thakur was born in a Kayasta family, and the Kayastas were elevated to a Brahminical, quasi-Brahminical status. And and so Bhaktisiddhanta Sarasitaka was his uh, seventh uh, uh, child. And, and there is a anecdote that uh, it's worth relating with regard to this son in particular. Hmm? Bhaktivinoda at the time was living in, in Jagannath Puri. And uh, he was a magistrate. Uh, working in the British um, court systems, and he had a dream in which Jagannath Swami of the, of the, the main deity of the Jagannath Temple appeared to him in a dream and said, you know, I've brought you here not just to do legal work, but to, to teach the, spread the teachings to, Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. And so Bhaktivinoda replied to Jagannath in the dream that, but I'm very old now, what can I do? Maybe you can please send me someone who will, who will be able to help me in this. And so Jagannath Swami said to him, for that you pray to uh, Goddess Bhimala. Goddess Bhimala is the principal uh, Shakti uh, Tattva deity within the Jagannath temple. Now, Jagannath is a very, uh, well, he's a flexible person. <laughs> he, he accommodates all kinds of worship. Buddhist, tantric Buddhists worship Jagannath, and they have a certain idea of who he is. Uh, Shaivites worship Jagannath, they have a certain idea of who he is. He is Jagannath, after all. Nath means Lord, and Jagat means the world, so he's, he's for everybody. And accommodates all types of religious conceptions. When Prataparudra Maharaj, who was the king, the Raj, at the time of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, witnessed Chaitanya Mahaprabhu coming from Nadia, from Navadvip, to uh, Jagannath Puri to celebrate the Ratha Yatra along with his associates, it's about a 10 hour train ride, overnight train ride. So they're walking and doing Sankirtan along the way. From the rooftop of the temple, uh, 
stood the Raj with a couple of associates and they saw the Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. They didn't, actually Chaitanya Mahaprabhu was in Puri at the time, but his associates from Bengal were coming to, on the pretext of celebrating Ratha Yatra, <laughs> to meet with Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. And he marveled at their persona. What did he say? Chaitanya Rishishti Prem Sankirtan. Actually, he asked his, uh, uh, who was it? Um, Gopinathacharya. What kind of religion is this? And he had seen all kinds of religion. He's the Raj, Jagannath Puri, all kinds of people. They said, come and worship Jagannath with different conceptions of who he is. Even, even at the time and now today, the Advaitins, uh, who have a, a whole different philosophical perspective than ours, they're in charge of the temple. They're the Pujaris there. They, they uh, run the temple, They're very accommodating. Jagannath Swamis, but but the Raj had never seen anything like this. What just seeing their kirtan and their the the, the, the ecstasy of their arrival. So he asked, "What kind of religion is this?" And then um, the reply came: "This is Chaitanya Shristi. This is the Shristi, the creation of Chaitanya. It's called Prem Sankirtan. He brought this to the world. Golokeru Premodham, Bodhidham Sankirtan." Sings. Mm. The Raj was on the edge of his seat, as you can as you can imagine. Mm. And as it turns out, if we look through all the different religious conceptions of Jagannath, you won't find one sweeter than that which was uh, envisioned of the Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. That's what makes Jagannath's eyes so big and always open. Mm. Jagannath looking, Krishna looking for Radha, where is she? Having been reminded of her hmm? by overhearing others speaking about the Braj Lila and, uh, and the, the extent to which the, the Vrindavan because had captured the heart of Krishna. So it's Pujapad Sridharmarsh compared Jagannath Puri to a train wreck. Hmm? In a train wreck, well, people get banged up. Jagannath looks a little banged up. You know, his arms are stuck in, furs, legs, his head's a little big. Uh, but what he meant by that was, is a train wreck of two conceptions, the Vrindavan conception and the Dwarka conception, the latter being one of my more Aishvarya, means understanding that the, the, the godhood of the Godhead of Krishna, the divinity of Krishna, and the Vrindavan conception, where they don't think of him as God and thus can associate with him more intimately. These two crashing together. Hmm? This is Jagannath Puri. It's a moment. Jagannath Puri is a moment in the Dwarka Leela hmm? when Krishna in Dwarka is remembering the Braj Leela and Radha's love. Not that he doesn't remember it all the time, but something has been said to bring it to the surface so that it cannot be contained and it over, overflows and overtakes him and so forth. So Chaitanya Mahaprabhu saw Jagannath playing the flute, wearing a peacock feather. He's not dressed like that, but that's how he saw him. And wonderful leelas, of course, that are centered around the Rathayatra primarily took place during the time of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. But, Bhaktivinoda Thakur 
was living there in in Jagannathpur at the time, and he prayed as per the dream to Bhimala, uh, who I said is the primary goddess of the temple. She has a, her own, you know, it's a big temple complex. It's it's huge. There are 54 kitchens. A lot of cooking going on there. Uh, Jagannath has a big appetite. But anything that's offered him, the famous Jagannath Prashad, which people will take all over the world in a bag and distribute it to distant places and so on and so forth, it's famous for this. That Prashadam is not considered Mahaprashadam after Jagannath eats it. Only after from there it's given to Bhimala and she takes it. Then it's Mahaprashad. So she has a very prominent role. And depending on the religious conception that you have, then she will be thought of accordingly. So we have the Vaishnava conception of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu's conception. So we see her as a manifestation of the internal potency of Krishna, who, as it came to pass, we find Bhaktisiddhanta uh, was under the influence of and in a very prominent sense in We'll come come to that, but this is uh, an interesting uh, anecdote, as they say, with regard to the, just prior to the birth, something about the birth of Bhaktisiddhanta Sarasvati and how it came about. And of course, it said that he was born with his umbilical cord wrapped around his head, like the Brahmins, some of whom didn't like him because he was a Kayasta, uh, uh, wrapped around his, his neck like 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 they wear it. That is a later controversy that came. We'll hopefully get to in our description of some of his um, exploits. <clears throat> Born there, and uh, shortly after his birth, uh, the Rathiatra took place, and it said that the Rathiatra card got stuck right there at the house. It was a rented house that Bhakti Vinotaka was living in, stuck and it wouldn't move. And, uh, garland of Jagannath fell off and they took and gave it to the child and then the cart went on. So these are nice stories that uh, that uh, inspire us as followers of Bhaktisiddhanta Sarasthakura. But um, sometimes of course things get exaggerated over time and uh, you can't verify everything to what extent it's true and so on and so forth, but you see the personal character and the, the contribution of Bhaktisiddhanta Sarasitaka, and it fits well <laughs> with such things. Hmm? They, they say, of course, and as time goes on, they'll say, well, you know, the, the miracles of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, people must have thought like that because they weren't educated. Maybe he was an epileptic, that's why he was falling into, into a trance. Uh, they thought it was a trance, but of course, as I say, epilepsy is not contagious. But, Chaitanya Mahaprabhu's brain is contagious. If you look to Bhagavatam, you will become mad with the brain. <clears throat> but with regard to the campaign of Bhaktisiddhanta Sarasvitakura, historical figure, I mean, Chaitanya Mahaprabhu was a historical figure too, but it's 500 years ago. Now we have a historical figure in the modern time in Bhaktisiddhanta Sarasvitakura, A.C. Bhaktisiddhanta Sarasvitakura. And we see in all of their lives, Extraordinary miracles. The miracle of my Guru Maharaj, his, his campaign uh, at, at the 
behest of Bhaktisiddhanta Saraswati Thakur. It's plain as day, right? If you look at it, it's, it's just a miraculous story. So miracles do happen. <laughs> yeah. So the stories like this cannot always be verified in all respects. We take them seriously, given the, the character and the, the actual documented activities of Bhaktisiddhanta Saraswati and the result, which in a very prominent sense, is ourselves. How could we deny his greatness and his contribution? We're here today because of the vision of Bhakti Vinod Thakur that Bhakti Siddhartha Saraswati Thakur came to give shape to and that my rumors then took at the order of Bhakti Siddhartha as he thought of it. It was a suggestion, actually. He wrote to his Guru Maharaj, Bhaktisiddhanta Prabhupada, did, please Guru Maharaj, I've been a householder, I have not been able to be close to the mission and because of householder responsibilities. Is there any service I can render? And Sarasvita wrote him, I think it would be good if you, if you speak in English. Hmm? Right, I think he said you speak in English. Hmm? So Prabhupada, my rumors took that as, he ordered me to do this. It was like a suggestion. He ordered me. That was his like Guru Nishta. Yeah. He focused on this one order and it's all his perfection, you could say, uh, arose out of that, such as the power of Guru Akya. Chitete Kuriya We want to make that our heart one with that, right? And we're much good example. Bhakti Siddhanta, he had a little problem because he had two gurus and one told him to do bhajan and another told him to preach. So <laughs> it's complicated as we go forward <laughs> at times, but uh, we have, that means we have to use our intelligence to harmonize hmm. apparent contradictions that, that may arise. This is not for non-thinking people. Hmm. Spiritual life is not for people who just want somebody to think for them. Hmm. Tell them what to do. You have to think. It's, and you have to, it's important, the guru tells us what to think, but more important, he tells us how to think. He can tell you one good thing to think about, how to think about it. If you do it right, everything will come from it. So, Saraswati Thakur was born in Jagannath Puri, and in, and in his early um, years, um, he exhibited a very high uh, moral character, uh, and that included a, a very strong religious uh, leaning and interest, and uh, very um, was a very intelligent young young boy, and uh, he took to accompanying his father Bhaktivedanta Thakur wherever he went, which involved meeting people like Rabindranath Tagore, who is famous poet of West Bengal, won the Nobel Prize um, in the early part of the 20th century. He had a famous dialogue with Einstein, familiar with Rabindranath Tagore. He came once and recited poetry for Bhaktivinoda Thakur. His, his, his son was there and appreciated. Um, these were poems about Radha and Krishna that he had written. Uh, so people like this, Bhaktivinoda Thakur was meeting 
through his father and people like that were meeting him and they noted this is a very good son you have a very good character and um <clears throat> and uh shortly uh within his uh, studies um, he was seen to have a very uh, very good ability to retain subjects that he had um, uh, witnessed or studied or heard about almost like a photographic memory and uh, he was uh, nicknamed, I don't know how they would say it in Bengali, but living encyclopedia. So he was quite a, quite a uh, fluent in the currents of thought at the time. And now I'm not speaking about Chaitanya Vaishnavism per se, although obviously that was his father's religion and, uh, and, and, and more, you know, his, his spirituality. But these people, uh, these sadhus, Bhaktivinoda Thakur and Bhaktisiddhanta Sarasthi Thakur, even as a young boy, they were very much exposed to the world, unlike sadhus of the time. Sadhus would be not in touch with the world. You couldn't find Gaudiya sadhus living in Calcutta. You could find them in Navadvip. You could find them in Jagannath Puri. You could find them in Vrindavan. But these were all remote areas. Now the dweep was such that uh, the famous Bengal tiger was up and around. So it was a wild place. Not like uh, uh, the British capital, Calcutta. Um, and Vrindavan also, very rural. Jagannath Puri maybe a little more built up. So, but anyway, these were the holy places. Hmm? And they were, they were away from the world, within the world. Hmm? In Jagannath Puri, the whole economy based around the temple. Hmm? So there's a big appetite, there's a fancy dresser, you need, you need all, everything that you need for the worldliness, Jagannath needs for his, his own life, right? And so everybody's employed, growing things, producing things. It's a very, very safe place, very favorable place to pursue Bodhi Vaishnavism and be aloof from the world. During the time of the Vrindavan Goswamis, who were the founders of our Sampradaya, you may know that in Europe, there was a revolution going on. It was the heliocentric revolution, if you will. The idea, I guess it was, was a Copernicus, the Copernican revolution, who uh, which reached the conclusion that the planets, the primary planets, and many more now that we know about, but they were revolving around the sun and not the earth. This was a sacrilegious uh, perspective from the understanding of the Bible at the time, which is the principal, the principal form of Western revelation. So he was in risk of his head being uh, well, being beheaded for such blasphemy, if you will. Of course, in time they figured out, well, maybe it's not really against what the Bible says. We look at it differently and so forth. Um, I bring this up because, as I say, at the time, 
Vrindavan Goswamis were establishing Gaudi Vaishnavism in the world. And they, they were either unaware or they ignored this Copernican revolution, but it was not something that was unknown in India. And there were traditionalists, if you will, who looked at the Puranas, for example, as their historical and astronomical maps uh, and, and understanding of what's out there, of what's out there, who's asking the question that it was all in their sacred texts. And while they're subject to different interpretations and so forth, the dominant interpretation did not uh, seem to run counter to the heliocentric, uh, is it heliocentric? Yeah. You'd said it a geocentric perspective, right? So uh, some traditionalists, and different schools of religious thought within India try to take on this and counter it. Some adjusted accordingly and looked at their scriptures differently and said, oh, this can be accommodated and so forth. But the Vrindavan Goswamis, they, they were too busy. They were, while some were busy trying to demonstrate that the planets moved around the sun rather than the earth, well, the Vedantins in general were busy saying, well, actually beyond that, the, the, the whole world is revolving around the Atma. Hmm? And then the other Vaishnava is saying, well, and the Atma is revolving around the, the Paramatma. Hmm? And then many Krishna devotees said, well, the Paramatma is actually revolving around Krishna. And Gaudi said, Krishna is revolving around Radha. <laughs> so we, we have a long way to go from the heliocentric perspective to the Radha-centric perspective of the Gaudi Vaishnavas that, that, that our Goswamis were we're laying the seeds, the foundation for, hmm, uh, in terms of a, a systematic way of teaching that. So they probably just didn't have time for that. But when it comes to Bhaktivinoda Thakur, hmm, much later, uh, 400 and some odd years, uh, three quarter years later, well, the modern world was set up in Calcutta. Right? It was the headquarters then. Of the British in that uh, area, and they were ruling the world, so to speak. So he and his son were acquainted with, familiar with, in touch with all currents of thought in the world. I have at times described Bhakti Vinotakura as the first convert to Gaudiya Vaishnavism. And he did have a conversion um, moment as he was exploring different religious traditions and, and systems of thought, philosophy, and so on and so forth. And the Gaudius ideas were, had been obscured by misrepresentation over time um, and weren't, weren't popular and weren't well understood. But uh, he had the occasion to come in touch with, I mean, it's an amazing thing. He came in touch with the Chaitanya Charitamrita. It wasn't there. I mean, they weren't printing presses uh, in yeah, yeah, speak of desktop publishing or anything, making things available, uh, no internet, so forth. But when he studied the uh, Krishna Bhakti through the lens, the Bhagavatam, through which he grew up having an aversion to, as he admitted, through the lens of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, when he had an epiphany and a conversion. Mm -hmm. um, 
But my point is that he and his son, they were, they were very much in touch with the world. So they were in a very different position than the sadhus of the time. And then to become sadhus, as they, as they did, they carried with them something, a plus, if you will. This plus is actually mentioned uh, by uh, Vishwanath Chakravarti Thakur in his commentary on the famous Bhagavad Sloka that uh, best defines the Guru. What is that verse? Tasmat Guru Prapadeta Jignasu Shreya Uttama. Defines the disciple and the Guru. One has to be sufficiently eager to know. I've said it's not that the, there are many problems in the world that our spiritual perspective should solve, but it should bring us to the point of understanding that the world itself is the problem and solve that. As a byproduct, other problems may be solved here or there to some extent, but the nature of the world is such that they'll never be, they'll never be, it'll never be all fixed, right? So this is the subject perspective, right? So one has to be sufficiently eager to, to make a comprehensive solution to the problems of life. This is what the student, uh, spirit of the student. And then the guru must be well-versed in the, in, in the scriptural uh, canon. And shabde pore, tanishnatham. Shabde means this, this current of thought, this, this revelation, that's the answer, as I said earlier, to why that we are. And pare means from a theistic perspective, because it can be understood from a monistic perspective in which there's, there, there, there's no um, interaction between the Godhead and the, and the self, no love of God. So shabde pare, chanishnatam, the word we're underscoring here is nishnatam, it says he should know, she should know, the guru, this 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 uh, current of thought inside and outside, upside, downside, inside, outside. As Krishna says in the Gita at the end, one who knows studies this inside and outside and so on and so forth, and teaches it to the devotees is very dear to me. Hmm? So Guru should be acquainted with this. And in his commentary, Vishwanath Chakravarti says, and this means not only the scripture, other books too. So in their time. Analogous to Bhakti Vinod Thakur and Bhakti Siddhanta Sarasar Thakur, the Goswamis of Vrindavan who were forming the Sampradaya, they were familiar with all the currents of philosophical thought at the time. The Nyaya, Vaisheshika, Karma Mimamsa, Yoga, Sankhya. And you can see this in their commentaries. They're drawing these philosophers say this. They, they accept some part of it, reject other parts, and so forth. They were like Bhakti Vinod Thakur, like Bhakti Siddhanta Sarasar They were they were Rupsanatan, they were worldly people. They were ministers to the to the Nawab Hussein Sah who was ruling over Bengal. Sanatan Goswami would, would be the ruler, hold the seat, the, the place of hold the place of the ruler when he was out. So elevated they were. Not that they wanted to be, but it was hard to refuse Nawab <laughs> in those times. And they were able to do that without compromising their, their spiritual interest. And indeed, we can say that it enhanced their capacity hmm, to do the service that Chaitanya Mahaprabhu had, 
plan for them. There's a plan to it all. In other words, they became diplomatic. They learned how to deal in different circles with royalty and, and, and so on and so forth. They had a worldly education as well as a spiritual education. Um, of course, there are internal spiritual reasons for their being the leaders, so to speak, of our Sampradaya, the founders, the exemplars, in terms of how they conducted themselves. Not every associate of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu conducted themselves in a way that we could follow their example. But the Goswamis did. Sankhya They chanted a number of rounds every day. They conducted themselves as, as, as we are taught to conduct ourselves. And when they wrote about that conduct and established that conduct, and so forth. But my point here is that they were, they were, they had the patronage of kings. When Mahabharu told the Sanatana go to Vrindavan, establish the places of Krishna's leelas and so forth, he gave them a few instructions. With regard to that instruction, they said, well, here is such and such. Here is their bhava. They felt this must be the place and we honor their bhava. So, 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 you know, that, so then, so, in, so inspired by that, then kings and queens would want to build a monument there. You couldn't be, you weren't anybody if you didn't have, if you were king within Hinduism and you didn't have some, some place in Vrindavan for your Rani, a temple for her to worship Govindaji, Gopinath, Gopinath, and so forth, the land of temples, right? Probably just say 5,000 temples here. I don't know what he was referring to in particular, but there's probably 50,000. Now, unfortunately, there's probably 50 million people there too, which is good and bad. Uh, but the Goswamis were um, people of the world and sadhus at the same time. They were writing books, publishing texts. Um, Nana, Shastra, Vichara, like in the world, Sadharma, Sanskrit, Lokanami, Takaravoti, Vremani, Sharami. All arising out of Lokanam, Hitakaram. Hitakaram means out of compassion for the local, for the people of the world. They collected evidence from all the sacred texts and wrote what we sometimes refer to as the Bhakti Shastras. They, they did what Vyas did. Vyas compiled all the texts. And he wasn't satisfied in Nara's group said because you haven't fully, in no uncertain terms, emphasized bhakti. Hmm? So you have to do that, therefore, the, and then the Bhagavatam in its final uh, edited form came out from the samadhi of, of Vyas. And this is the central book of the Goswamis, and they wrote about it, expanded upon it, and so forth and so on. Hmm? And they did this out of compassion for the world. So they had some, some sense of, of delivering the world, even while they were, their occupation was, was entirely otherworldly and its attainment was rare. What is the Bhagavatam saying? We can't remember. Similar verse. To attain and uh, to be a Narayana Parayana, even to be a Mukta is very rare. To be a Muktanam Apisidhanam. Muktanam Apisidhanam. Narayana Parayana. To be a Mukta hmm, is 
it's rare to get out, to re release from samsara. And in the context of that, to be the close Savite of Narayan, to speak of you know, Krishna Parayana, Radha Parayana. So it's a rare thing. Don't be, don't be discouraged. And he can't be, because you've got a taste for it. It's too, too far out to give up, even if it's hard, even if it takes a long time. No other, uh, you can try, but nothing else will capture you once you've been captured by this idea, this possibility. Such penetration and insight into the nature of transcendence, the possibilities there. This has never been told before. Well, who knows if it's true? Who cares? What, what, what do you consider true? What, what other information do we have? Hmm? And the people that are giving it, what is their character? Hmm? Why should we not believe them? What is their character? How, are they, how, how does it move them? It may not move me entirely like that, but it moves them. So there's a possibility it will move me and I need to move. I need to change. And a lot, a lot. And this is such a, such a friendly way. It's a Lila Harikata of Krishna. It's, there's nothing like this. Here is God in human-like form, human-like. He's completely not human and completely human. It's human-like, right? And the human likeness is such that the descriptions of God in this community hmm, it, are such that we can bond with him emotionally. What is, it, what is a greater bond than an emotional bond? All our bonds are, you know, that are strong are, are emotional. They will override logical bonds. Hmm? Yes, that's right, but... I feel like this. Mm -hmm. and, and so we lacked, unfortunately, that, that's not always the best, but we're, we're emotional beings. Mm -hmm. It's hard to imagine that a scientific description of the world that, that relegates emotion to a, to a total illusion and being unreal has any, has any, has any value, mm -hmm. that, it, that it would be entertained by anyone. <laughs> yeah. Sick idea, pathetic idea. Mm -hmm. So the point is that when we hear about Krishna conducting himself, the Godhead, in ways that resonate with us, because we've had that experience. Yes, I disobeyed my parents too, and they chastised me. Hmm? When, we, when we hear of his, his exploits as a, as, as a youth, hmm? yeah. his interaction with his parents, and then in his adolescence with his, with his lovers, with his, we resonate with at some point in the, in, the, in the kata, yes, everyone has an epiphany and they bond with him. Yes, he's very charming. I know what that's like. Hmm? I said before with the Jesus of Nazareth, you can bond with, you know, like guilt, something like that. Maybe it's a human emotion also. Oh, and there's a, there's, there's a bonding, but I mean, this is full, full. Hmm? This is very extraordinary. So it's difficult to disconnect, even if you get distracted, right? Unfortunately, by, by sadhus like Bhaktisiddhanta Sarsdhi Thakur, there's a wide circulation of this out, out and about in the world. It should, it should increase. And that was a, a kind of a desire of Bhakti Vinod, compassion for the world, being in touch with it, I'm saying it corresponds with the time of the Goswamis as deeply as they were concerned with the other world. 
without compassion, there's no rasa. And rasa means, retires compassion in a sense, and it retires the world for you, ultimately. Compassion, well, there's no compassion in, in, in Golok for Krishna, except pathos of Vatsali rasa for Krishna. There's no, there's no need to be compassionate to. Everybody's perfect. <laughs> so, but for this world, to be perfect in this world is to have compassion for everyone, universal compassion. I saw a fellow once, uh, not a favorite philosopher of mine, um, who was a naturalist, and I forget his name now, I can see his face in my mind's eye, but um, he was, someone was talking to him about meditation, he said, you know, what's the value of this? I mean, what, what do you, what do you get out? And to my mind came universal compassion. Is it worth anything? Does that have any value? And we have examples, some people like that. Hmm? They actually feel like that. Hmm? They have no suffering for themselves except what? The suffering of others. Hmm? So the Dhamma is in a great place to be, but you can be a little aloof from the world. And by contrast, Bhaktivinoda Thakur was right in the middle of the world. He was in the center of the orbit of the British um, uh, colonization, right, of, of, of India. And so all the philosophical currents and sensibilities, cultural sensibilities, he couldn't avoid them. He had to think about them, and then he interfaced them with Gaudiya Vaishnava, and he found Gaudiya Vaishnava has, has vitality in relation to all of this, all of these arguments, points of view, and so on. So there's something to say hmm, that, that transcends all these arguments and perspectives in terms of being a, like a solution to the problems of the world hmm, and more. And so Bhakti Siddhartha was, as his son, was following around, meeting with the different people in the, what was called the Bhadralok, which was a, you know, a society of pious, educated Hindus that were uh, in touch with modernity. And all its, and they, so they're reevaluating their, their uh, perspectives, their, their teachings, their their, their, their religious texts and, and, uh, and every, everything about their lives. Mm. Um, um, so you have very different um, uh, pair here in Bhaktivinotaku and Bhaktivinotaku of, of sadhus. Mm. Uh, and given that, they were in a position to do the kind of thing that is, has been done by the Bhaktivinotaku that has uh, enabled us to be here uh, today. They were from the get-go thinking outside of the box. Hmm? They were looking at Gaudiya Vaishnavism from an essential point of view. They had to. Hmm? They had to look at essentially what is it saying rather than it says this and you should do it like this, you should do it like this, you should wear this, you shouldn't wear that. All those things have value as far as a system being set up for, for a spiritual tradition, 
that defines it and assists practitioners and so forth, but it's nonetheless relative. And where it is, where it's all laid out, if you will, will be somewhat relative to the area, to the time, to the circumstances, and so on and so forth. And they were new times, new circumstances, and touch with the whole world, really from Calcutta. And so they had to think about the Bodhi Vaishnavism differently, and no one was thinking of it like that. And so when they did, when Bhakti Siddhant Sosipalko, who was, who was living in Cyclopedia, as thought of as a young boy, he became interested in astrology. He did a translation in Bengali of the Sanskrit work Suri Siddhanta and Siddhanta Shiromani. And these were interesting later uh, cosmographical texts that um, differed from, in some ways, from the Puranic cosmographic descriptions of what's out and up there, and so forth, which is, which brings to mind, of course, the relativity of, of, of these, for example, fifth canto descriptions of the, of the cosmos um, worth, worth noting. So, you know, they understood these things. That's why Bhakti Manilatakwa in his famous Bhagavad speech said, and he referred to the fifth canto, he said, and there, even in the Bhagavad, there are descriptions of hells and so forth. We don't take it, you know, seriously. It means that there is a system in the world of reward and punishment. So he's looking essentially what's being said here. Built into the system of the world, when it, when when the Atma interacts with the world, there the world when it takes from the world, the world wants something back. And sometimes the rewards are good because of the, the, the move was less exploitive than another, and sometimes the opposite. There's some kind of a system, punishment, reward. And you can describe it graphically like this so to, to hammer home the point and drive people in the right direction out of a fearful motive. There's a place for that also with the works to a point. So he, he made that kind of a statement. So I'm really trying to make a point of how they were thinking differently about Gaudi Vaishnavism, given the circumstance, given the circumstances they were in, which we we would think have been arranged as a background to that. Hmm? I don't know any secrets about the birth of Bhakti Vinod, but I told you one about the birth of Bhakti Siddhanta They came to the world with something with a, with with a, with a mission that was discovered by them. They discovered that they had a mission, like the associates of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu themselves. When they realized, when they had the, an epiphany, this boy, he might find it. He's become a Vaishnava. He was a pundit. He'd become a Vaishnava. And he exceeds in Vaishnavism in terms of its fruits, of its ecstasy, love of God, all of us combined, they thought. He's our leader. And he's giving this out. Freely. Who is he? How can he give it freely? He must be an avatar. But what avatar can give Krishna Prem? No avatar has Prema Madhurya, 
Lila Madhurya, Venu Madhurya, Rupa Madhurya. These are the four qualities of Krishna. He alone has. That he has prema, pre, Lila Madhurya, sweet Leelas. You can hear the Leela of Varaha and Gurma. Nishrinas well, got a little sweetness in it there, but that's the point that should be emphasized. I just had some goblins used to want to serve Nishringa Day and they thought they'd be warriors. I would tell them, no, you should be like Prahlad. <laughs> that's, that's how you follow Nishringa. You have to become gentle like Prahlad. But the point is, what Krishna's leelas, these are very sweet, very charming. The Bhagavad captures them to some extent in the 10th canto and it's become the most popular of that. Ramalila, some sweetness too, human-like, but Krishna Lila, much sweeter still. Sweet. So anyway, Bhakti Siddhanta Sarsi Thakur. Bhakti Vinod Thakur. How did I get there? I'm troubled by too many thoughts at the same time. Okay, I need more tongues, more heads. So, uh, so the point is that what I was making is that that they were they understood these teachings in essence, hmm? um, and and interfaced with them in light of their worldly exposure as well. And so they were from the get-go out of the box thinking about Gaudiya Vaishnavism, how, how to, and, and how to, they were compelled to, how to present it to the world, how to reply to the, to the modern perspective in ways that other sadhus weren't, they, they just weren't confronted like this. They, 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 they were the dom, they didn't, uh, so this was a setup, if I may. They were special. Bhakti Siddhanta Thakur thought, like the Thakur did about him, that his son was had come from sent sent by God, that that he was had come from the other side. Oh, and my point was this was the point that what that they discovered that they had a mission. Chaitanya Mahaprabhu's associates also, they thought he must be Krishna. He's giving Krishna Prem. He can't be an avatar of Krishna because an avatar would give Krishna Prem. They don't have Prem and Madhuri. They don't have sweet leelas like this. He's giving this. So then they thought, must be Krishna. Am I crazy? He's Krishna himself? And then they thought, wait a minute, if he's Krishna, where are Krishna's associates? Because Krishna's never alone. And then they realize themselves. <laughs> we are in another Leela. Hmm? And then it would close. And then you have to them. Then it would close again. Hmm? Don't think the Gore Leela is not exciting. Hmm? So, <laughs> so back so to even though it's awkward. In Pakistan, they similar. They discovered that they had a mission. They were placed where they were 
for a purpose. And they use their worldly familiarity and acquaintance and so forth, and their acquaintance with Gaudiya Vaishnavism to draw from Gaudiya Vaishnavism its essence and present that in any number of ways that would be more palatable to the to other peoples, regions of the world, dispositions, and so on and so forth. So they were very, they were very flexible. And in doing that, thinking outside of the box, they were thought to be outside of the box by many traditional Gaudiya Vaishnavas who couldn't recognize their own tradition in a, in a new in a new form, so to speak. This is fairly common, but in a religious tradition, a saint, a mystic, who really goes to the core of what it's about, appears on the scene, and the practitioners want to crucify him. Because he's telling them things that they don't want to, I didn't think the religion was about that, but I had to give anything up. Don't tell me that. I told a story before that when I was younger and I was in ISKCON, International Society for Krishna Consciousness, I was in a temple in North America and I was in a, in a couple who were, was a priest uh, and his wife for a Presbyterian, I think it was, uh, church, uh, had it been assigned to that church, was across the street from the temple. And so the wife would see us going back and forth to the temple and so forth, and she was interested. In, so she used to come to the temple and she, and she would meet with me and talk and she would come to my lectures and then she would go home and tell her husband, he said this one, he said this one, he said that. So he would start to factor these things into his lectures, things like renunciation, you know, what it's really all about. It's, it's the congregation was mostly older ladies and men and, and, and they, they wrote to the bishop and had him transferred to the Bahamas. <laughs> they didn't want to hear what it was really all about, right? They had to, they had to, they had to give up something. They had to, the sacrifice that love was born from the womb of sacrifice. Mm -hmm. You want to love God and get something. I love you. Now can I have something? <laughs> something like this. So the, these are principles, but that's that's the karma orientation to religion. It's not just some Indian idea. Mm -hmm. This is the basic idea. It's a childish idea of religion. I want, I want. Okay. No, no. Say, say please. Please. Okay. Now say thank you. Okay, now you get it. Mm -hmm. So you just look. Learning some basic ideas of love. Please, thank you. A little gratitude. Learn that. We'll give you something. Hmm? You think the thing is the object, but what really the object is to say please, say thank you, to learn, to be a gracious person. Hmm? This is the beginning of religion, karma. Jan takes it a step further now. Hmm? It's not about getting something from the world, none of which any such thing endures. And I want enduring happiness, so I should turn inward rather than outward. Know thyself. I'm more complete in myself than the world in its incompleteness, and so on and so forth. Uh, this is Gyan. From the movement of karma to the stillness of Gyan. Hmm? Right? The bhakti is otherworldly. So. You can't have gyan and movement, you can't have karma and stillness. In bhakti, you can have both. You have the stillness of fixed, fixation on one person. That's love, Krishna. But love is such that it moves. It has a high tide of union and a low tide of separation. 
we move in the world to find love and we find it, oh, I can rest only for a minute. To find that love has its own orbit. And now I'm in orbiting on in that uh, circle. So, so as the associates of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu found, we were his associates, we were in Krishna Lila, Bhaktivinoda Thakur was found himself, therefore, and it was appropriately so, even a, a, a religious minded person um, who was a contemporary of Bhaktivinoda and a famous journalist, I think maybe Chishu Kumar Roche named, he, declared he is the seventh Goswami. Six Goswamis, they're the founding acharyas of Gaudiya Vaishnavism. And he uh, gave this epithet to Bhaktivinoda uh, the seventh Goswami. Meanwhile, his son was being called Siddhanta Saraswati for his knowledge in Surya Siddhanta. And we translated Siddhanta Shiromani in these astrological, uh, astronomical books. Yeah. yeah. Was quite an accomplishment, and he and he had uh, a disagreement with the main teacher in the school hmm, as to the interpretation, and his, and uh, he wouldn't give up. He left school on account of it, and so forth. He had his own thought about it, and so he was very prominent. He was was he was given the title Siddhanta Saraswati. Then, accomplished as he was in the world, Bhakti Siddhanta in many ways, and, and desirable from many perspectives, people wanted him to become part of our group in this way, in, in, whether it be secular or religious or, or, or both, as they did Bhakti Vinod, of course, Bhakti Vinod had become by this time a Gaudiya Vaishnava. They wanted his son. He had very high moral character. He started his, as a young, young lad of a society called the August Society. It was for young men to uh, embrace a vow of celibacy for their whole life. Maybe he's the only one, you know, prevails. But that's a strong vow for young in, in adolescence to make a um, vow and then to stick to that his whole life. So we, we talked a little bit about his his his, his, his character. This is a this is what did very good come. What did what did uh, what did Bhishma say? Bhishma? The demigod said Bhishma. The demigod said When, who was it? When, when the grandsire of Arjun took a vow of celibacy, he said, oh, Bhishma. How could this, of course, he was a warrior. That's even more, but an adolescent, same thing. Wait a minute. You know what you're doing here? Uh, so, of course, he, he kept that up without any, without any second thought, without any difficulty. But in time, he confessed, Bhaktisanathakur, to to moments of of, of pride hmm, for his accomplishment and the fact that he was desirable by by so many. And it was that this was detected in Bhaktisanathakur, who was quick to then turn his attention to poor Kishordas Babaji. Hmm. Now, Babaji Marish used to come and hear the talks sometimes of Bhaktisanathakur. But he himself was illiterate. He was uh, from the Baisha family, I think cloth merchants. And early on in his life, his wife passed away and he, and he became a renunciate. And he became well known as a Siddha Purusha. 
um, who had no time for anyone. Yeah, practically. I don't mean he's not compassionate, but he kept to himself. And he had experience of many people approaching him who were ostensibly interested in a serious spiritual life, but he could detect that they actually were driven by other motives. So he was kept himself rather aloof, but he would come sometimes to the talks of Bhakti Vinodhapa and Bhagavata. And it was to him that Bhakti Vinod turned the attention of Bhakti Siddhanta suggested you should take Vaishnava Diksha from him. He had already received a Japa Mala from Bhakti from Bhakti Thakur and and the blessing to chant the, the Mahamantra, which he did. He kept those beads his whole his whole life. But Bhakti Vinod wanted to take Diksha, receive the Krishna mantra, not the, not the Maha mantra, the Nam mantra, but the Diksha mantra from Bhakti, from Bhakti, from Gurukshara Babaji. So, you know, he, 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 he took up the advice of uh, Bhakti Vinod and very quickly, he was very perceptive, he, he could understand, oh, my worldly um, accomplishments, abilities, my intelligence, uh, my good moral character and all of these things, they're like counterfeit currency compared to what this illiterate person holds within his heart and what directs his movements. I must make connection with him if I, if I really want to attain the, the, uh, what's, what's worth attaining in this life. And so he made an effort to become a disciple of Gurukshara's Babaji. And he was successful. And of course, par for the course, Gurukshara's Babaji initiated him in an unorthodox way. Unorthodox means that at the time, the prominent Diksha gurus in Gaudiya Vaishnavism were the caste of the Swamis. This is an interesting group. Um, the original disciples of the six Goswamis were largely all householders. And it seems that at a certain point, they decided to change their, their surname to Goswami. Hmm? That's all I can uh, surmise, hmm? which is a ch kind of charming. Hmm? They were disciples of, let's say, Jiva Goswami. So to household, household a couple, they changed their surname from Patel, you know, to, to Goswami. And then they, they passed it on like that. But of course, the title Goswami at the same time carries with it some, uh, the meaning, it's a honorific, right? Someone has controlled their human, humanness. Uh, animalness of us, if you will. Um, and uh, as such, it pertains to, to, to our, our, our enunciate. But anyway, the idea of calling, naming themselves Goswamis has some charm to it. But it, in time, it, um, it lost its charm, let's say. And um, and in many circles, not all, but in many circles, 
the Kaz Goswamis were giving initiation and they weren't giving much siksha and they didn't have much instruction to give. And, and you know, from the uh, description of the times coming through our parivar, it, it seems like monitors are being sold and it was a way of having a livelihood and so on and so forth. In fact, Bhakti Siddhanta once made a diorama where he was criticizing the Brahmins who were performing religion just to feed their bellies. And he made a diorama of a Brahmin holding the Shalagram, which is a sacred stone, using it as a nutcracker. Mm -hmm. So they took him to court, the Brahmins. Mm -hmm. And there was a debate in the court. And finally, they, the Brahmin said, well, your Godias do this too. He said, all right, we'll keep the diorama, diorama but we'll put Tilak on. Godia Tilak, how's that? So he wasn't shy to critique his own um, lineage as well. What he's saying is, how do you think the Shalagram feels? You're supposed to worship him with love. You're just using him as a nutcracker. <laughs> Just to fill your belly, that's all. This is not good. He created some enemies through that as, as, as well. But, um, but at the time, there was a system, predominantly a system for initiation, where this would be done, this would be done, this would be done, this would be done. You'd have a letter, I initiated this person, these are the systems of succession. Any number of things were part of the system. And you were aware of this particular T-lock because you're in this particular line. Not bad things. It was, it's, it's, a, it's a kind of a thing that, uh, well, we need to organize this um, and give it some shape, some form, that people can take advantage of it and so forth. Whereas a, 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 a recluse and mystic who's kind of half off the map of the world uh, may not be preoccupied with such details. Mm -hmm. The essence of the initiation is what? Yes, you have my blessing. Part the mantra. Mm -hmm. So people sometimes question, well, we don't know if Bhaktisiddhanta was really in, after the great campaign of Bhaktisiddhanta. Those enemies that he created creeped out from underneath their rocks mm -hmm. and brought into question. Mm -hmm in the minds of the uninformed. How, how author, how bona fide is he anyway? Where is, any, where is his Dikshapatra, his letter, that, that shows that Gorkashore initiated him? What tilak is he wearing? Is it from the Nityananda Paribar or the Advaita or Gadadha? It's some generic tilak. They put things together like this to make a case. Therefore, we say he was never initiated because obviously all these things are essential. Now you may find that a little silly the way I'm pre presenting it, and it is, but it wasn't thought to be silly at the time. And this is an, this is demonstrates how easy it is, unfortunately, to misconstrue details for principles and attach oneself to rules and regulations which have a place and are important, but without understanding what they're for. Hmm. I'll say it once, not twice, but rules are meant to be broken, made to be broken. You're meant to break them and understand what they mean. Hmm. And, the, and they no longer, and, and having a, a embraced that, they no longer necessarily apply to you, other than to set an example for others, perhaps. Hmm. 
So it's so easy to think, well, he didn't, he wasn't wearing, he, he didn't have, what tilak did he have? He didn't have any tilak on. He didn't have, he had a saffron dress instead of a white dress. You can't go to Goloka Vrindavan in a saffron dress. You have to have a white dress. These things had currency. And there are good reasons for them. There was a basis in what Sanatana Goswami had written, how we will dress as Godias, why we'll wear this color instead of that. There is a reason to, but it's, it's, it's relative also. So the, I often say that, well, if you want to criticize Bhakti Siddhanta for his initiation, saying it was unorthodox, you have to play, play the blame on the Korkashore. <laughs> Who wants to criticize him? He conducted himself in a way that people could say, oh yeah, he, he must be spiritual. We saw him. He begged an eggplant from a, in the market. Then he sat under a tree, offered it to Vishnu and ate it. Offered it to Krishna and ate it raw with relish. He, he, he's not an ordinary person. <laughs> and so many other things, anecdotes about it. So he was overtly, his life was overtly such that he would be construed to be a sadhu, whereas Bhakti Siddhanta Sarsitakya, Bhakti Vodhaka had this worldly orientation to begin with, and they were doing something with the tradition that Babaji Maharaj was not in the same way doing. He was doing it, because he gave the world Bhakti Siddhanta Sarsitakya through initiating him. But it's difficult to understand the activities of a Vaishnava. They may overtly look to be spiritual, they may look otherwise. What's the motive behind his or her uh, actions? That, what's in, what makes their heart beat? That has to be determined. After all, Goloka is very worldly. Everyone's attached to their families, their cows, their place. They don't want to go anywhere else. Our, our end result doesn't look like renunciation, doesn't look like Shiva in meditation. <laughs> so to move in the world, but not be of the world, Krishna Lila, it's human-like. So, so Bhakti, you know, Bhakti, so Bhakti Siddhanta Sarsitapa, he took initiation from Gorakshara Babaji Maharaj. said at the time, he began to wear green colored cloth and he was he, he was an author so he would write in, with green ink and i don't know how he came to this conclusion but his conclusion was that vipralamba which which is a form of separation in madhurya rasa separation between radha and krishna vipralamba is green in color so different emotions have different colors like krishna's color is sham it's the color of romantic love according to indian aesthetics and uh, so just like we have hot colors, cold colors. So I've never seen it anywhere written, but this was his idea that the color of the Perlumba was green. And he very much uh, entered into his service to Gorkasharlas Babaji Maharaj and his pursuit of his ideal. Um, through a verse that was that he heard sung perhaps for the first time by Gork, by by Gorkshar's Babaji Marsh, a verse that was composed by Raghunath Das 
Goswami. It's a very extreme verse. In this verse, it says, who cares for Krishna? I don't like him. Hmm? Even Vrindavan, I have no interest in. Hmm? If, the qualifying uh, phrase, if I can't get the service of Radharani, these things have no meaning for me. Krishna has no meaning for me. If I can't get the service of Radharani, it's a famous verse of Radharani Paskaswana. Marsh knows it, right? <laughs> so he heard Gorgashara's Babaji sing, and sing this, and this verse is, he just focused on this one verse. He identified with that. Therefore, he described Gorkashore, Mo Gora Kishoraya, Sakshat Bairag, Mutai, Vipralamar Sambode, Padambujai, please. Licenses to Gorkashore, he uses the word Vipralamar. And he emphasized this. this is, of course, Vipralamar means the separation through which union will come about, which makes the heart grow fonder, which uh, ornaments the, the union. Mm -hmm. So we'll pass through separation to enter into union. It's a long discourse in and of itself, the nature of Vipralamba, Seva. But this was his, that resonated with him. Mm -hmm. He took that immediately and it came to his heart. Babaji Maharaj gave him the name, um, was it Prishabhanu? Vaishnavani. 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 So, handmaiden of, of Radharani. This was his ideal. Hmm? The main, the highest ideal of Gaudiya Vaishnavism. To become the handmaiden. Right? It's a very, it's a very wise mathematical calculation. Hmm? If you want to please Krishna, <clears throat> there's this roundabout way to do that because no one can please Krishna like Radha. So let me attach myself to being a servant of Radha. In that way, I'll please Krishna the most. It is about pleasing Krishna. It's an interesting calculation. So anyway, this is the highest ideal in Gaudiya Vaishnavism. Bhaktisiddhanta Sarsakabha embraced this. He conceived in himself as Nayanamani Manjari internally. Hmm. Um, an insight arrived at through, through Nam Kirtan. He said, Gorkashodas Babaji, Marsh told him that your sarup in the Leela will be found in the syllables of the Hare Krishna mantra. Hmm. So he had a strong emphasis on Kirtan, Bhaktisiddhanta Sarsakya Thakur, and dynamic idea of kirtan for that matter by which it could spread far and wide uh, through for example the publication of literature and so he incorporated these modern instruments of publishing as you as you all know uh, he rode in a motor car uh, sometimes he wore patent leather shoes which was cool i guess at the time for the, amongst the british and uh, there's a famous letter from a british lady who met him and wrote back to her constituents in britain and said and i met the sadhu and he's different He's different. He uses an English toilet. Hmm? She didn't say it, but she meant, and he wears patent leather shoes. This is one worth listening to. So these were things, these were devices. This is ways in which he sought to, to integrate with uh, other cultures hmm? in, in ways that, that would not impede, uh, obscure his bhakti, but facilitate its its dissemination and his ideas about this were very very uh, radical 
At one time, for example, he said, I was prepared to invite uh, British, German, other European dignitaries for a religious discussion in Mayapur at the birthplace of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. And if need be, in order to get them to come, we will serve meat. If they, if they think, well, we're not going to go there. But just, to, just, to, just to have the opportunity to share this with them. So, he, so when he heard this, Peter Mar said, he thought, like, what? Prabhupada, my guru, saw He heard that. He didn't hear it personally, but he heard of it. They were, they were shocked. And Bhakti Siddhanta noticed the shock on some of his disciples and said, I'm prepared. What did he say? I'm prepared to go to hell or something like that, to spread Chaitanya Mahaprabhu's mission, to shed every ounce of blood. I mean, this was a very uh, committed, committed person. Hmm? And he was. Um, very powerful and stout in his, in his moral character, which was in question amongst sadhus, so-called sadhus of Gaudiya Vaishnavism who were interested in parakya bhav, romantic uh, interludes with uh, rendezvous with Krishna in, in the Leela, but were having rendezvous with uh, ladies of this world at, at the same time. Uh, Gaudi Rashtam is this very high, so there's a tendency to want to talk about the higher things and at the cost of tending to what you need to attend to at the moment. You have good moral character, uh, Sharanagati, Roya Shraddha, and so on and so forth. We have to know where to go. We have to know where we are. Focus where we are in such a way that we go where we want to go. You want to go to India? That's fine, but you know you have to have a ticket. You have to have a passport. If you don't have a ticket and a passport, and you don't have a job, and you want to go to India, and you say, "Swami, how do I go to India?" I say, "Get a job." What do you mean, get a job? I want to go to India. Yeah, get a job. Sounds like you're giving them the wrong answer, but those, you have the money, then you can get a, then you can get a ticket, and you get a job. A visa, a passport. If you want to grow, if you want to if you want to grow a mango, I said, fine, come, I'll give you one. I'll give you. If you want to grow, I'll give you a tree. Here. The guy's eating a mango already. It's soft and delicious, sweet. Hmm? And I give him this dried up round oval-shaped thing. See, here's your mango. What are you talking about? It's not a mango. Put it in the put it in the in the ground. I want to eat it. And you tell me to put it in the ground. Keep it there. Water it for years do the work then a mango will come then you can eat it right so he was focused on that kind of instruction if you will with regard to how to attain the highest ideal and appropriately so given the given the, the climate of the times and so on and so forth and his mission was successful very successful one measure of the success was that young men and women who were college educated were joining him and they were leaving Gandhi's movement to do so. You cannot imagine how captivating was Gandhi's idea of, of Swaraj, liberation from the British. The whole of youth of India was caught up in this. To draw them out from that, what power that took. 
Prabhupada himself confessed. He drew me away from that. Sridharmash also confessed. They were educated persons, going to the British schools and so forth. Otherwise, that was not who was coming within the fold of Gaudiya Vaishnavism amongst the, the young generation. They were moving in a different direction. And Bhaktisiddhanta was able to take them in the direction of Gaudiya Vaishnavism with his example and the way he spoke about Gaudiya Vaishnavism, the way he uh, applied the essence, the way he was, if you will, out of the box, and the way he uh, exposed his representation, the way he had no tolerance for um, uh, hypocrisy, which was, uh, which was fair amount within the Gaudiya uh, community. So this went on uh, for years. He began initiating disciples in the presence of Gorkashodas Babaji and Bhaktivinoda Thakur. A few years before each of them passed away, he initiated his first disciples in Mayapur. At that time, he changed from green cloth to white. And he was living in Mayapur, um, overseeing the place of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu's birth, which had been envisioned by Bhaktivinoda. That's a whole long story itself. And when they passed away, he was very uh, forlorn and um, and a little bit lost as to how to proceed. But I made the point, he was initiating disciples in their presence. So if you want to complain about his initiating, you have to take it up with Bhakti Vinod. You know, you have to take it up with Gorkashore. Don't come and praise Gorkashore and Bhakti Vinod you know, and criticize Bhakti Siddhanta. That's like a half hen philosophy. Man had a chicken, realized that this chicken lays eggs and I sell the eggs, I make money. Those eggs come out of a hole in the bottom of the chicken, but there's a hole on the top of the chicken. I have to put money in, in the form of food. So why should I spend the money here? I'll cut off his head. This is a half hand philosophy. Then you have no eggs. So don't, don't, don't glorify Bhakti Manod and Gorkashore. And at the same time, criticize Bhaktisiddhanta, which some people did because, again, he was pushing buttons. I was uh, in Prabhupada's mission, I was uh, did a lot of uh, outreach to people and so forth. And, and sometimes uh, I caused a disturbance with people. I mean, I disturbed people because they didn't want us to sell books in that place. I went there anyway. So some of my governors complained to Prabhupada that you know sometimes he's causing disturbance. And Prabhupada said, yeah, "If you don't disturb, you're not preaching." <laughs> so he always protected me. I was only doing it because he wanted it. So, so, so he disturbed many people. Bhakti Varnashram community, the Brahman community disturbed them. Many devotees. So. After his passing, some of them, I say, came out from underneath the rocks they had hidden under in his presence when he was moving in the world and had opened 60-some monasteries in India, I think 60 or something. He had one in Burma, one in Germany, one in Britain, and he was just getting going, if you will. Um, huge, huge campaign and educated people joining. Started with his own monastic order, thinking outside of the box, um, 
He took sannyas, changed the color of his cloth. He took sannyas from a picture of Gokushoda's Babaji. And they say, well, what kind of, what's that? How can he take sannyas from a picture? You know, this guy's not bona fide. Hmm? Let me tell you something about that. You don't have to ask anybody to renounce the world. <laughs> you don't need permission to renounce the world. You've already been ordered to do so. Hmm? You've already been told that's what you should do. You don't need anybody's permission to renounce the world. You look at the person of Bhakti Siddhanta. He was already a sannyasi in terms of what are the qualities of such a person? What is the character of the person? What's required of, uh, he was a celibate from, it, through his whole uh, adolescence and childhood. Hmm? By this time, he was probably in his thirties. Hmm? He, 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 he didn't even need to, but he officially sat before the picture of Gokushara and, and drew his, his, his blessings for that. And then he created his own sannyas mantra. And gave it to his own sannyas disciples and created a monastic order of Gaudiya Vaishnavism for like, like the British had uh, missionaries going here and there. He thought, we'll send our missionaries out to their, to their land and so forth. And we'll dress them like this because in India, the white cloth meant most everybody wears white cloth. But the saffron cloth would stand out so like wearing a uniform. So these were the kind of some of the out of the box type of things that he he did, if you will, which were questionable from the community, but which spawned large community today that we, that we know, the international community of, of Gaudiya Vaishnavism. Uh, and so we come to the end. And in time of his passing, I think he left the world in Puri. Calcutta. I was in Calcutta. Mm -hmm. They took him from, okay, he became ill in Puri. He took him to Calcutta, and um, uh, at the, just prior to his passing, he asked that the, the prayer of Narutam, glorifying Rupa Manjari, which was the ideal that he followed in, in the Leela, be sung. He asked Pujapad Sridhar to sing that song. Mm -hmm. And uh, I believe it was at midnight, he left the world. Puri Basami Maharaj said, the clock stopped everywhere. We believe it. Clocks all stopped. More than five a.m. Oh, five a.m. they stopped. Yes. Okay, maybe at midnight they sang this song. So, so it stopped. And, and then, of course, they had to take him from Calcutta to Mayapur. And this is, this is a very touching scene because they took him by the train. And word spread throughout West Bengal that the great he was called Siddhanta Saraswati, and Bhakti Vinodgate said once when he became initiated by Bhakti by Gorkashore, he said, Your title, besides the name that's been given to you by Bhakti by Gorkashore, should be Bhakti Siddhanta Saraswati. So that became his sannyas name, Bhakti Siddhanta Saraswati. So word began to ripple through Bengal like a wildfire. The leader of the Gaudiya Math. Whether they liked him, common people I'm talking about, householders, not some religious person who had opened a temple to fill his belly and had a complaint, but general people. Whether they followed him or not, they knew this person is a serious person. This person is a, is a sadhu of a different caliber and character altogether. Hmm? 
and he's left the world. And they all came, one train station after another, after another, the stops. People in throngs came to pay respect to the great Bhakti Siddhanta Sastra. And they didn't even know what he had done, that he would have grandchildren, great grandchildren, all over the world. And they would come to the network, as I was able to do, fulfill the prophecy of Bhakti Vinod Thakur, who had said, there will come a time when people from America and Britain and other places will all come from all over the world in Mayapur and chant Jai Sachinandam, Jai Sachinandam, Jai Sachinandam. I was, I was there for that. And the Bengali household would come out on the street and the lady would make sweets and make an offering to the Sankirtan as we came down the streets. Offer to the Kirtan, lay down. Husband standing, hands folded. And we proceeded down one street. She became known as Bhakti Siddhanta Marg, the road of Bhakti Siddhanta, chanting Jai Sachinanda, Jai Sachinanda, Jai Sachinanda, Latin America, all over the world. And this was occurring after his passing. The people didn't even know what he had done at that time was enough to bring everybody with hand, man, woman, and child out of their home. We're reminded of Sanatana Goswami. When Sananda Goswami left the world, he was called Munda Baba because he always shaved his head, kept his head shaved. So when Munda Baba left the world, he used to travel throughout the Braj and people would come, villagers would come, children would come and hold his hand. And they would ask him even worldly advice, asking to weigh in on disputes that they were having with neighbors and so whatever he said. He was the father of everybody in Vrindavan. When he passed from the world, every man, woman, and child shaved their head in brunch. In honor of Bhakti Siddhanta. What did Jiva Goswami say in the Sandarvas? Sandarva after Sandarva after Sandarva after Sandarva. And I pay my respects to Rupa and Sanatan, who are famous in Matura. Not just anywhere, but as devotees in the place, the Matura Mangal in Vrindavan, they were famous as devotees. These are the kind of devotees we follow. And Bhakti Siddhanta Marg is, is the way into Mayapur. And it came to pass in due course that the road from Delhi, the branch off into Vrindavan became named Bhakti Vedanta Marg. The way to Vrindavan is through the Bhakti Vinod Parivara. You're all fortunate members of this or, or well-wishers, friends, of this lineage is very glorious. You should never think otherwise. Bhakti Siddhanta Sarasthi Kapi Prabhupada Ki Jai Prabhupada Mahamotsubhati Ki Jai Sri Sri Govind Tananda Ki Jai Sri Panchatatpati Jai Sri Sri Radhagovinda Ki Jai Radhamanan Mohan Ki Jai Radhagopi Nath Ki Jai Sri Sri Dalji Gopal Ki Jai Gaur Bhakti Brinda Ki Jai Gaur Premanandi Anand <laughs> <laughs>